yeah, he has I, certain leaders. My first guy was Gandhi, actually. Oh, Gandhi. So you, you didn't play against Gandhi at any point? No, I didn't play against Gandhi. Okay, so uh, there's a thing about Gandhi, and any, anyone who's played Civilization knows this, um, but there was a, in, the, in the original Civilization, there was a bug because everyone has different personality ratings. And so, uh, some are more of rational. Those, yeah, some, some are, are more aggressive. Yeah, so there's, a, there's an aggression rating, and Gandhi was coded to have an aggression rating of one, the lowest possible aggression rating. Well, there's uh, you, it, there's so many options you choose as you build a civilization, like what kind of culture you're going to have, what kind of government. Well, there was one I, I cannot remember which category it was in, but there was a there was a thing you could choose that would lower aggression, other cities' aggression towards you. Yeah, and so it would lower Gandhi's aggression as well. And it would make it a negative one. You can so, do that? Well, that's the thing. When it was a negative one, it wasn't the system wasn't programmed to handle that. So it would default to the highest value possible, which was like 255. Now, granted, no one was supposed to ever have an aggression because it was only supposed to raise or lower it a couple points. So you know the guys were in a range that were fairly tight. The, the, well, so what ended up Gandhi, was this on? Was this on two? This was the original. Okay. So this was in the original. So he would have an aggression of 255, which meant that Gandhi would just attack and nuke everybody. All of a sudden, just act totally irrationally and just go insane. And that was a, it was considered a bug. But the thing was, it was so defining that they kept it in the games. Yes. <laughs> okay, I was wondering because I, yeah. had, I had Civ 2 and then, yeah, Gandhi's just being like Kim yeah. Jong-un with money and functioning so, weapons. So when Civ bad. 5 sort of revived the franchise, which hardcore civilization fans just recoiled and bristled that I just said that because they tend to be a little cold on, on Civ 5. Uh, but Civ 5 kind of repopularized broadly the series. That was still in there, so everyone's like, "Why is Gandhi insane?" Oh, it's because it's his, it's just a feature of the game that they kept in because it was originally a bug. So that means Gandhi would just start attacking people and dropping bombs and just going mad. You know what that kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of in uh, the original Diablo. The they said you know the rumor about the secret cow level and like, oh, if you find a portal, you're gonna find a level just of nothing but cows. Yeah. So in Diablo two, they actually added the secret cow level. <laughs> show that knows what to do when the weather gets terribly bad we're actually recording remotely so in advance we're going to apologize for any audio clarity issues but it's better than no show this is the predcast presented by on the brought to you by lions of internet marketing solutions joining us remotely chris link john garcia gents uh, we didn't want to take any chances today because we all know people in nashville don't exactly know what to do uh, other than have an insatiable craving for french toast whenever weather gets this bad but um so we're all in our respective homes right now. Um, John, how's the weather like where you are? Uh, it's not bad. The uh, I was actually very surprised that the snow was covering the ground right now. And I got stuck coming home from work behind the uh, brine and salt trucks, which added a, probably about 15 minutes to my commute. Uh, but the roads, for the most part, have been fine. Uh, the good thing is, is since it was so warm yesterday, nothing's really sticking to the roads yet. Uh, you know, obviously that's going to be a problem here in a little bit, which, you know, it's a good thing that we're not all gathered, kind of concentrated in one area and have to drive, you know, 15, 20 miles home. Yeah, we'd be at risk for losing both of you. That'd be a shame. 
<laughs> but then you'd get your dream of doing the podcast by yourself. Hey, yeah, hey, I had I had uh I had two favorites and two uh people saying that I should go ahead and do it. So uh the people may demand <laughs> the masses that, have spoken. The the masses ever, of four have spoken. This is no joke. I mean, we haven't talked about this before, but if you ever really wanted to do that, there is it can be done. There is nothing stopping me. There is nothing stopping you. No, a SoundCloud, it's it's already paid for. Those are some dangerous words. We'll find out what happens. No kidding. Uh, it's been a while since we've uh, since we've done a show, so we still got the whole All Star break to talk about, which we're gonna touch a little bit about that. Uh, John and I probably spent about a combined eighty hours downtown, and um, that's the reason why there was no show last week, because frankly, we were exhausted. Yeah, I finally caught up in sleep. It was great. <laughs> yeah, how much did you? What did you finally catch up? Because it took for until Wednesday for me, because I had. Um... I had a show I did for the St. Louis uh, guys on Tuesday night, and um, uh, I was so plus that game to begin with. Oh, so bad. Yeah, I think um, I think it was actually probably Saturday because I woke up of my own accord at like nine o'clock on Saturday, and I swear I was going to sleep until uh, like noon or one because you know going to work and everything like that. I was trying to get to bed a little bit earlier. Uh, but I was finally starting to feel refreshed by Thursday, and then by Saturday I was all good. Gotcha. Blink, how was your weekend? Which one? What have we missed? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, All All Star Weekend was was pretty good. Uh, you know, I was kind of on on the outskirts uh, of the city. I was in I was in East Nashville for a big chunk of it, uh, explaining the importance of the All Star Game to you know casual hockey fans. So uh, that was. Uh, that's always a lot of fun as they try to make sense of, you know, why anyone would want to watch the, the, uh, uh, what is it? This is it the skills relay. Is that the right name? The skills competition. The skills competition. Oh, I thought the whole thing was the skills competition. Well, yeah. But just, just, super... you, is it the super skills relay? The relay. Yeah. The relay. You're talking about where there's the real, the, where they, where they do all the events. Yeah. Trying to explain yeah. why that's interesting, um, which is not a good sign for the NHL if I have to explain to casual fans why that part's interesting. Um, I mean, I like it. I am a huge fan of that part because, I mean, the the, the long passing into the tiny nets and and the shooting from ang- from sharp angles. And uh, the only thing that's really gimmicky is the goalie long shot. Uh, so I, I really enjoy that event just because it's pure skill involved, uh, which is a ton of fun to watch. Uh, and, and I still feel like I'm the only one who likes the uh, the accuracy competition with like the four, the four plates. I mean, you are the only one that. who likes the accuracy competition. That that competition is fun when you've got someone who just nails all four in a row. Otherwise, it's just watching as a guy like Corey Perry keeps missing over and over again. You're just like, yes, I love every second of him missing these shots. Uh, well, it would be better if they like hang like Chris and I, uh, Chris Martell and I. Up in the press box, we're talking about this a lot. And it'd be better if they just like hung stuff from the rafters that they'd have to get, like some low stuff and some high stuff, like all over the place, like a carnival game. Is you know the the I mean any NHL player can hit a gigantic you know 12, 12 inch target that's at, at the net on each corner, but you know doing it if they're suspended from somewhere, that is something that I'd love to see. Um. That and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I really enjoy the uh, the hardest shot. Of course, who doesn't? The um, but looking back, the skills competition this year, it felt like that we were we were kind of cheated on. Uh, I personally, I love watching Vladimir Tarasenko. I love watching some of the younger European guys, and it's like we didn't really get a chance to even get to see them this much this year. 
you know what? I, I felt like, I mean, they obviously didn't have a rookie game. Um, and they did, they did a little bit less with rookies, I think, uh, which doesn't explain like Tarasenko and, and some other guys. Uh, but I really felt like they were trying to maybe rein in the skills competition a little bit since it had stolen all of the thunder from the game. And so it, the game kind of felt like an afterthought and, and no one really cared about it as much. And uh, I think this year just it felt a bit more bit more basic, not quite as the, the kind of glitzy, overdone thing that I felt like it's become the past couple seasons. It's the exact opposite of what I was expecting because I fully expected the um, fully expected the skills competition to be just so far beyond the actual game, and then it turns out the game exceeded the skills competition for the first time in forever. Yeah, uh, you know, and it, even from the first puck drop, I mean, obviously guys weren't going for hits, and and there was still some goofiness, but from the number of one goal games there were and none of them were were ridiculously high scoring given that it was a 3 and 3 format that was actually pretty impressive no i thought it was, you had a nice balance because the first game uh was like in the middle there it wasn't too crazy high scoring but it wasn't you know a one to nothing game and then the game with the against the central and the pacific was much more high scoring than that one was and then you had the last game that was just a a one to nothing thriller because like the goalies were making saves, people were back checking, like there was effort, um, and I, I think that that's obviously what was missing. I mean, Dan, you were with us at the uh, All Star Game in Columbus, and after the first twenty minutes, it was like you're, we have forty more freaking minutes to go with this crap. The fans, the fans turned on that game. Like that was, I'll never forget that. Yeah, and that was another thing. I mean, the fans uh, on uh, the for the All Star Game this year were so into the game. Like there were oohs and ahs whenever people were making. They were like clapping when people were making saves. They were noticing things that were happening, and they were really, really getting into it, which I think added to it as well. Because when you see a game that's supposed to be a gimmick where the players are trying and the fans are appreciating what they're doing, it makes it a lot more fun for everyone involved. When you have Yarmir Yager trying. And who's guy who said that he doesn't want to be here? That you know he he respects the fans' decision. He's gonna go. But when he when he was out there grinding and trying to score, that was awesome. You but when you invite Patrice Bergeron to the All Star game, he's it's second nature for him. He's going to back check. That's just kind of what what he does. His his name means furious back checker. Or something. <laughs> rough translation. I think it's I think it's it's rough, but I won't dispute it. No, it works. So um, let's get into. Um, a couple weeks ago, um, uh, just I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it because a lot's happened since then. But the Predators end up going on that road trip four and zero, including a two back to back one, two to one wins in Western Canada over the Canucks and the Flames. Both Rene and Hutton got a start. Both ended up winning two to one. Only one goal allowed in each game in all four games. And for a back end of the road trip, I don't care if they're outshot. I don't care if they were outchanced. I don't care. Because number one, you're on the road. Number two, you're as far away from home as you're going to be during the season, and it's you know they're, they're grinding on a back-to-back. So I really don't care about the whole stats, chances, as long as you win. Now, if you don't win, they got a problem. But James Neal and Ryan Johansson look like they've become best friends. The penalty kills looked really good on that trip. So can we say that if the Predators somehow do make the playoffs, is it safe to say that four-game road trip to save the season? Well, yeah, I, I would. I would think so because, I mean, you looked at where they were when the trip started and they were 
I, I can't remember if they were like one or two points outside of a wild card spot, if they were like right on the cusp, but they, they were there where they either needed to win out or win three out of the four games for them to stay relevant going into the all-star break. And they did exactly that. And for the most part, they looked pretty good doing it. I mean, I know that the Western Canada teams in Winnipeg aren't exactly the fiercest of uh, competitors, but exactly what you said. I mean, they, they needed to go win games and they won out all four of them. So you don't care how they did it. They did it. Yeah, you really want to see a team go and beat up the garbage teams. And there's really, there's not a lot of things in the world that can prop a team up this season, like a good refreshing swing through the Pacific Conference. I mean, if you are a struggling team, you want to be heading to the Pacific Conference. I mean, granted, you may not be excited about playing, uh, you know, the Kings or Sharks, but pretty much anyone else, you're, you're, you've got a really good chance and you're going to have a fairly straightforward game. I mean, you know, maybe not the Ducks right now since they're streaking, but uh, certainly uh, there, there's plenty of, of uh, fodder in there for, for a team looking to rebound. Yeah, and we were expecting whenever the team showed back up after the All-Star break that good things are going to happen. They start off with St. Louis. It's a big game. And it ended up becoming the most painstaking game I think we've seen in quite some time in Nashville. It was, oh a, Tuesday, oh it was a Tuesday game in St. Louis. Uh, as is tradition... It was just, I, I don't know. It, it wasn't was painful. It was, that, just, with the game, tired. it was just so tired. Not not the game, but it was on par with that game. <laughs> and everyone knows what game we're talking about. The infamous 2013, <laughs> the, the worst game ever. And that was actually the first time I think um, uh, my girlfriend and I went to a, it was like our first game we ever went together. And somehow she still tolerated hockey. I was amazed. <laughs> that, that's some patience right there. Uh, I only won free tickets because I knew how I Daniel Bong was playing, whose name is spelled B-A-N-G. Right. And uh, Kevin Wilson had like some type of competition about how to about lures, and it was Electric Warrior by Clutch. And yeah, other than that, I would have never seen this. I never would fully appreciated that, but it was probably it's every bit that's been written about it. It was terrible. But yeah, this and, was on par with it. Yeah. It, you expect some rust coming out of the all-star game because, you know, a lot of your guys have played a little bit. A lot of guys have been, you know, in you know, tropical climates and, you know, away from hockey and everything. So you always expect that rust, but it just it did not go away for either team. I mean, neither team looked good and it just continued. And I remember looking at it, it's what there was less than 10 shots halfway through the game for each team or something like that. Yeah, it was it yeah. was not a matchup between teams that wanted to win a hockey game. They just didn't want to lose, and that made for a really long, boring night. No, same, I mean, it's like St. Louis played with a lead the whole game until, like, the last five minutes. And full credit to the Blues because they knew when to push. Because it's almost like they lulled Nashville to sleep in the last five minutes. They just threw everything at the net and ended up coming away with two points. It, it, Feel it, bad for Pekka, though, because Pekka deserved better than that. Yeah, well, really, though, if, if the cameras were not recording the game, no one would have known that St. Louis won because we were all asleep already. That's about right. This is like one of those like bad documentaries they put on Netflix because they know you're going to watch it to fall asleep, too. Yeah, I said in the comments section that game's going to be used as a cure for insomnia. Like, oh, it's 3 in the morning, you can't go to sleep? Click on that game, you will go to sleep. Uh, it's like test cricket. It was that bad. 
Dan, now we're getting an angry email. One angry email from somebody. One angry email from someone in, in Sylvan Park. Yeah, it's going to be the same person who got the Langoliers reference a couple weeks ago. That's an interesting crossover. So you're saying Langoliers fans and cricket fa- test cricket fans are the same? I, I think that if you had a Venn diagram, they would be in that middle square. It's fascinating. <laughs> they followed up with an absolute garbage loss to a Philadelphia, but... Flyers aren't a bad team, but Nashville mm. fell behind early, started taking chances, and they just didn't. Uh, with, the, with the exception of the one Chicago game, the last like eight games, Nashville's done a much better job protecting Pecorine, and the defense has been playing further back and letting him see the pucks. It's almost like they forgot everything playing against Philadelphia. Yeah, and there's a little bit, too, of uh... – Pekka also didn't look quite on his game as much as he had the last, you know, five or six games. Um, he looked like he was, you know, battling the puck a little bit more than he used to and, you know, getting screened a lot more, which certainly doesn't help. Uh, there were a couple times where I didn't think Nashville was playing as bad as the score indicated, but they were just giving up so many chances and everything that they were giving up was going into the back of the net, whether it was because of a defensive lapse or, uh, you know, Pekka couldn't make a save. It was, just, it was just one of those games that, unfortunately, we've seen so many times this season. Yeah, it, more so, I, I would almost say more so with that one uh, than a lot of the other ones. So I disagree a little bit with you, John, in that I just, it, it felt like anything that can go wrong will go wrong type scenario. So no matter what the Predators try to do, uh, you know, how they try to adjust, the Flyers are just kind of walking in and doing what they wanted, which is not typically something the Flyers have been doing this season. I mean, they they might be able to do it to the Penguins because it's the Penguins, but I mean, the Flyers are still struggling for relevancy in their own division. Uh, I, don't know, I I always whenever I see these, I have a couple people who will, who will ping me on Twitter, being like, "So who are you hoping to win?" I'm like, "Well, I, same thing I always say. It's a it's a Predators win in overtime." We didn't quite hit that point, uh, and that was discouraging. No. But it know. looked it looked like it was going to get there for a second, and then. Once again, the wheels just completely fell off because they, they were shaking and falling off during the entire game, and then it just went off, and the bus went off a cliff. Yeah, it, it's like the you know it, talking about the the rust needing to come off in the game against St. Louis, and 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 also talking about how that just wasn't happening. Neither team was really waking up, and coming with a loss out of that, the Predators just held on to that rust for another game, and and they were a little bit more on on the ball. But a desperate, really hungry team, because that's the big difference, is St. Louis, they just wanted to get a point or get a couple points or just get get through the game. The Flyers came in wanting to really just attack, 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 and, and get points and try to get position, try to make the playoffs. And I, I just don't think the Predators were ultimately ready for that, combined with just everything going badly. Uh, it made for a rough night, and not one that I expect the, the team to allow to happen going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just you know, I kind of look at it and say, okay, I think this is really an aberration. I think the Predators are through that really nightmare rough spot that they had uh, in in kind of the the back part of the first half. And you hope to see something stronger coming out, and maybe we did. I actually left the house when it was um, after Philadelphia scored their fourth goal, and I was like, you know, I go. I just recently bought a new vehicle, so I'm like, I'm just gonna go out for a drive, you know. I, had it for one day. I really don't know how to drive this thing quite just yet. So I drive over to uh, Fergal McDougal in South Nashville. It's good. It's the, got an amazing wine section. 
And I'm going in, and it's Weber had just tied, Weber just brought it back to four to three, and the place is going nuts. Oh, cool! So then I go inside the store, and I come back out. Flyers goal scored by Wayne Simmons. Blah blah blah. blah. You know. Oh, well, <laughs> well the five to th- no six to. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, at, at I that point, at that exact same point, you were driving to, to Frugal McDougal. I was wandering upstairs and just casually putting on my Flyers hat and being like, I don't know who the Predators are. What are the Predators? Uh, who is this this crazy upstart? No, I just like shut it down. Um, I just couldn't take the pain anymore. <laughs> that was a depressing one. Yeah. But all's well that ends well. Um, San Jose comes to town, and Terry Crisp said something on the pregame. And he also said on the postgame, he reiterated, it's almost like he called a shot that Nashville plays very well against the San Jose Sharks. Now, on paper, I didn't believe this because San Jose is a big team. They have a lot of big bodies, and they like to slow the game down. They have a lot of guys that can pass very well. Their cycle game's on point. Uh, Joe Thornton's one of the most, probably the most underappreciated players of this generation. And Joe Pavelski, he's he's he does what James Neal does in the power play, except to a T. Whereas James Neal is kind of known more for being a little bit more on the side. Whereas Pavelski's got such a quick release. He's willing to take abuse do whatever it takes to score power play goals. I did not see it as in, in any possible way this game would end up being a blowout for Nashville. And turns out it was. Especially the way that the game started. I mean, because the Sharks were bringing it to Nashville uh, all throughout the first period. And I remember thinking like, oh, boy, here we go again. Like, this is going to be one of those games where you want to turn it off after the second period. Uh, but Nashville found their footing. They broke out of that, and they were able to play probably one of the best games that we've seen them play in some recent memory. You know, ignoring the empty net goal, so looking at the five goals that took place, they were all so pretty. Mm -hmm. They just didn't score goals. They scored goals in beautiful ways. So when I look at, you know, if you you look at something and you look at, for this game, like PDO, and it's going to be huge. But the thing about it is that the goals and the chances they had were just sure things. They were things that the goaltender was really not going to save due to shot placement, due to uh, the passing in front of the net. I mean, they were really clever plays, and and, it, and and the goals were scored by guys who were really aware. And that's one thing that's frustrated me, uh, even with uh, Johansson coming on board, is that it seems like there's some guys who just aren't, they just don't think about the fact that Johansson can get the puck. So it lands in their stick, and they look at it for that fraction of a second and say, what the hell is that thing doing here? What is it? Get it away from me. And then by the time they realize it's a puck and not it's like some kind of like tiny cake-shaped monster, uh, it, it's gone. They've missed the chance, and they could have scored a goal. Well, what we saw against San Jose were some players like Arvidsson, uh, who is not ever afraid of anything. If there's something on his stick, he's just going to pretend it's a puck no matter what it is. And we got to see the reason the Predators wanted him on the team and why they drafted him. Because he has he, he really has good awareness. He has very quick hands. And you get you, you put him in a, in a position where he can use his, his maneuverability, his speed to kind of get into positions and just take the shots he wants to take. He can convert them. And, and even the one that, that hit Jones on the shoulder and did that kind of flipping into the net. That was the yarn croak. Oh, was that the... Oh, that was the yarn croak one? Backhand... It was the backhand one for uh, Arvidsson, and then why am I... I I'm merging the, the other one. 
you're you're thinking of the, the one where he uh, like back skated into the zone. Oh, the the one the falling around, yeah the falling and then shot. Falling and then shot the puck while his yeah the, the, in the air. My jaw is still on the floor. The, the falling wrist shot that was perfectly placed at the top of the net. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you how that I get that one confused with the yarn croak one. Uh, yeah. So that I mean, and, and I think the best part about that one was also the pass from Johansson. Yeah, and Johansson was on his game all night. Not no, not to say that he usually isn't, but there was uh, one spot in the second period, the first period. I can't remember at this point, uh, but he was behind the goal line, behind the goal, and just had that gorgeous uh, backhanded pass around his body, mm-hmm. where he basically took his stick a full one eighty arc semicircle around and got it to uh, Neil or Yarncroak, who put a shot on net. Yeah, it was incredible. No, Yarncroke, I think maybe this is um song Yarncroke is the sixth left winger that they've played with. And we've been trying to find a home for Cal Yarncroke in the roster somewhere. He hasn't been terrible anywhere he's been put, but he's he was a bit overmatched to be the top line center at the time. Being on the left wing with those with those two guys, he just needs to be in the right place. And so far the results have been pretty good. I mean, he's he's got a scoring touch going on, he's got goals in consecutive games. And it's possible that this may be where he ends up. Uh, kind of, I don't know if he's going to stay here for the rest of the year or not, but it, it makes a lot of sense because he's like the control part of the experiment where the other two guys are just go out and create chaos. He's just playing the, uh, the secure role and he's watching their backs. And so far it's well, working. Here's the one thing I'm, I'm, I'm wondering with, with yarn croak on, on the line with uh, Neil and Johansson is that, is he the, did I say the name? Actually, say the name right. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Three times yeah, in a row, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Uh, is that he's all? I I I'm kind of worried about him being. And I'm going to try to make this into a verb, or Chris Kuninst, where you you put him on a you need a you need a, a winger, so you put him on a line with with talented players, and he just sort of accrues points because of the talent around him. And now, as far as the fact that that leads to wins. There's no problem with that. But you also have to look at it very practically and say, hey, is this really, uh, you know, is the production really a matter of his skill? Uh, or is it merely he just happens to be, you know, w- w- he happens to just match up well enough with the other guys in the line that he's generating ridiculous amounts of points. But if you ever mo- move, remove any one of those elements, it just falls to pieces. Yeah, then of course Yarncorp does have enough skill to hang out, to, you know, to hang on a line with them, and he also has uh, just so much hockey awareness and such hockey smarts that when you've got a sniper like Neil and you've got a playmaker and shooter like Ryan Johansson, he can use what's going on in the ice to his advantage and find those areas. And we saw that with the goal that he scored um, in San Jose. Uh, I think that the way that the lines were balanced. Uh, on Saturday may have been probably the best constructed that they've been in a little while. And I really, really hope that they stay like that for a little while. And it's not one of those things where like, oh, well, we won, but there were still some things like let those lines gel, let them sit, because LaViolette's been doing too much tinkering recently and see where where that goes. Uh, If nothing else, Victor Arvidsson is not a kind of guy that's going to work with anything other than top-skilled players. Mm -hmm. He's just going to waste away on lower lines. Don't even bother. 
So it's good seeing him, you know, maybe getting a chance beside Ribeiro, which Ribeiro seems much more motivated when he's playing beside guys that can skate, the guys that are going to push the action, where he can, it gives him more room to work with and play his game, which he, Mike Ribeiro's only going to play one game, and that's his game. You have Philip Forsberg, who has been – this isn't a shot across the bow at Craig Smith, like it's a Craig Smith hate segment. But Craig Smith this year is not the Craig Smith from last year. No. It's just not. Mike Ribeiro from last year is not the same Mike Ribeiro we're getting this year. How Philip Forsberg has still managed to have as many points – be still on track for a similar goal number to what he had last year, it's pretty impressive. I, I, if I was him, I would have gotten frustrated a long time ago. So full credit to that guy. Yeah, and we've seen him get frustrated too because he's been recently like turning the puck over a lot. He's he's had some cold spots, especially earlier in the year. Uh, but I think that's just a testament to one, you know, how young he is, and two, how skilled he is that he's been able to rise above that and prevail even when he's not playing his best game. And I thought that what he was showing with Arvidsson, especially in that last goal or Arvidsson's second goal, like keep those guys together for a while. Like that was some chemistry that I don't think I've seen between them before. Mm-mm. And he said after the game, it's like, we've been playing against each other since we were 14, 15 years old. That would have been cool to know, like yeah. going into the year. Yeah. So I don't know how, um, I don't know how long that line's going to stay together. I want him to see the get see him stay together for a good while because I don't, I don't see where else Victor Arvidsson fits in this lineup because he's not. He doesn't make sense on a third line. He doesn't make sense on kind of like that jack of all trades third line because if you have you're put out there in all those situations, we've seen it time and time with Cali Arncroke or Oli Jokinen or whomever else. The third line's not going to be productive unless it's given a particular role. As the line sit right now, you've got Mike Fisher beside Craig Smith and the third guy. Maybe Colin Wilson as soon as tomorrow night. I I, I want to say about Colin Wilson is, is I'm I'm a little excited to see him back in the lineup, especially with how the third line's been put together, because I've long long been a fan of the Wilson Smith pairing, and you add in a little extra defensive responsibility in Mike Fisher, and I think you've got what historically would have been a predator the Predators' second line or some nights the first line. It was their second line for a lot last year. Yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden you've got a a third line that could put up some really uh, pleasant numbers. And when you're talking about depth scoring, they're giving you like depth plus scoring. Uh, plus they could take away tougher matchups away from the top line and, and really shelter that second line with Forsberg and Arvidsson and Ribeiro. Yeah, yeah. There's some amazing flexibility there. Uh, and, and if nothing else, even if they're not scoring... That is a line that is just going to drive play. So the worst case scenario is you've got that third line who is going to really wear out and push around whatever group, whatever defensive pairing, whatever forward set is out there to defend against them because they're still going to drive play no matter what. Colin Wilson is going to magically, you know, gener- you know, make great passes and set up set up players and take shots on net and not accrue any points, but still do everything else right. Uh, and then who knows what's going to happen with, with Fisher and, and Smith. But there's if they even if they don't score, I still think they, they're just going to drive the team nuts, tire them out, and then you put out the first, second line, and those guys are going to be able to just clean up. If nothing else also, it moves uh, Cody Pass probably back to Milwaukee because you're going to have Austin Watson and Mika Salamaki likely flanking uh, Paul Gostad for right now. And, and Bork skating too. So Austin Watson has looked... Yeah, so I mean, 
you know, we, we have the, we have, you know, Salamaki's there, you have Watson, but, I, you know, I, the news I keep looking at, as I just said, is that you see Bork out there skating. And we talked a little bit the last show, I believe it was the last show, if it was the one before that, then I am impressed with my own memory, which is not always that impressive, uh, is that he just brings an element to the team that we don't always have uh, and uh, we don't always really see out there. I just I want to see what he can do with how the Predators are running right now, especially with the balanced top lines, with that third line getting stronger, with being able to get, you know not have Cody Bass in there, and just their games in competition. Because I really do think that I'm that that it's much better for the Predators to have Bork out there than Salamaki at the moment. I'd like to see them compete for that spot. Uh, I think that could really add some to the to the uh, the team going forward. So there's yeah, team is getting stronger. I, I... And I agree with that because if you remember at the end of last year, uh, I believe Eric Nystrom was hurt. And so the fourth line was Taylor Beck, Paul Gostad, and Gabrielle Borg. And they were so much better than any iteration of the fourth line earlier in that season. So you have someone like Austin Watson. You have, you know, Paul Gostad cemented there. He's not going anywhere without injury. And then you put Gabrielle Bork right in there. I think that it could probably be a pretty effective fourth line, at least on paper, um, and thinking about it. And I think that they could, you know, take some good defensive matchups and, uh, you know, cycle the puck and wear down the opposition so that that can free up some minutes for uh, the top-line guys. So I just I just I just blacked out to a, to a fantasy of oh no we have Nystrom an injured reserve oh no Paul Gostad's going injured reserve we need we need a center and all of a sudden here comes Colton Sissons and then you've got then you don't have link. then you don't have Sissons Watson and the option of Borko Salamaki that's your fourth line gentlemen that's your fourth line next I'm year like, I'm just excited that Austin Watson's playing beside guys that can actually skate. Because you know who he looks really good with right now? Mike, Mike Fisher. Fisher. Yeah. Fisher, the penalty kill, it's no mistake about it. Penalty kills look better since Watson and Fisher have been paired together. You got Yarncroke and Forsberg out there in the PK since Forsberg's playing less time on the power play because, let's face it, that first unit is straight fire even without him. So I'm liking what we're seeing with special teams now finally. It's taken all this time to get to that point where special teams are finally starting to make a bit of a difference. Now, the Sharks game is a bit of an anomaly because, number one, Joe Thornton was just right place, right time. Puck ricochets off Weber's backside as he's standing to the side of the net. And then the last one should have been interference, but it was garbage time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Thornton goal, yeah, I watched that, and I watched it again, and I watched it a third time, and I watched it. I, I just, because I kept looking at it and thinking, you know what? Even if that hadn't bounced off Weber, there's a really good chance it would have just been a goal anyways because – the Sharks were able to just kind of push the puck back and front, back and forth in front of the crease, and no goaltenders were able to keep up with that. It's just too much back and forth. The lateral movement, especially with Pekka's more limited lateral movement these days, just wasn't going to happen. So that's just kind of a shame. But yeah, I agree with you about the other one, power play one. It, it reminded me of like watching a really good like kitchen crew, a really good bartending crew, was watching the Sharks power play because everyone knows exactly where they're going to be on the ice. Everyone's got their one or two specific jobs that they do, and it works. It works perfectly. So it's like watching like a really good restaurant crew that's all like passing things on to the next person or a really good bartending crew. And you can tell that they've got some awesome chemistry because these guys have all been there for a long time. And just going back over All-Star Weekend, it's still kind of shocking that this team has won nothing. Yeah. Poor yeah, ass person, Sharks fans. Yeah, yeah as we said, Sharks fans. Yeah. 
So with all that said, um, we're going to dive into some of your questions here. Uh, thanks for putting these out. A lot of these came out unsolicited. It's like we've got the audience trained finally. Rachel Freeman writes in, with Yarncroke looking fine on the first line, where do you see Wilson and Bork fitting back into the lineup? Which we touched a little bit on that. We like Colin Wilson in the third line. If Gabriel Bork comes back in, which he's the more proven guy between Mika Salamaki and Austin Watson, who sits? Uh, it's Salamaki. It's got to be Salamaki. Uh, I, I, I think Watson contributes in his own way. Salamaki just feels sometimes feels a bit idle out there. Like he, you know, I, I don't know. I just see so much of of Bork or Salamaki and Bork. Wait, I don't know which way that goes. Um, but they just strike me as being somewhat similar players. Um, and I just, you go with the one who has a better track record and Bork clearly has a better history and track record in the role. It's not like Bork's old. No, not at all. No, he's what, 25, 20, maybe 26 now? Yeah, he's a bit of a kid still. Yeah, he's, he's, he's on your payroll. He makes fine money and he contributes. He accepted his qualifying offer. Who does yeah. that? And well, and that's another reason why, uh, you know, getting him back is uh probably going to be a good thing because he's missed so much time he's going to want to prove that hey i want another contract next year hopefully maybe a multi-year deal maybe it's not for an expensive contract but i feel like he's going to be one of those guys it's like okay i need to get out here and prove that uh i don't have any rust and i can get that next contract gosh i would love to see watson slide over to center and all three of those guys on the line together well, now I don't think now Watson he was not playing a ton of center in Milwaukee was he did, didn't they slide him over to the wing? Uh, he he slid over to wing because Sissons was playing so good at center and but he does he he is a natural so, and it makes sense he's a bigger body he can skate very well but he's fine on the wing he's fine either place yeah so, but I know he can't play center yeah I I I know he was drafted to center and you know I I am always if a lot of guys make the AHL and they get maybe converted to winger. Um, I, I've seen the I, the history of the Predators and of Milwaukee as being really bought in, into the Predators system is a history of guys being switched to center prematurely or out of necessity for, for whatever reason. And I think that's always been developmentally difficult because I, I think that's hurt guys like Colin Wilson. Um, so, I mean, I, I'd be interested in seeing him play a little bit of center, speaking of Austin Watson, of course. Uh, just... See what he can do. See if he if he has that role because you talked about how well he paired up Dan with Mike Fisher. So you wonder, hey, maybe he can spend a lot of time learning from Mike Fisher. He can be molded in into a giant monstrous version of Mike Fisher. And that'd be nice. It, it, it was like watching like a CBS style buddy cop a drama between the two of them, where it was it was it was a lot of fun watching them on the penalty kill. Hmm. I'll be honest, Dan. That show um, sounds Fisher boring. Sports... <clears throat> of course, that's you know. Come on, Rook. Why do you got a sleeve tattoo, Rook? <laughs> Brush his hair. Let's see what else we got here. Got a couple other good ones on here. Uh, Kevin Harris. Where does his question go? There it is. Does the hockey media give Alex Ovechkin or Russians in general a fair shake? Um, it, it comes and goes. They, it, it, for a long time, it's, it's we saw better. bad stuff. It's got... I mean, yeah, I, that's why I think, I think it comes and goes because for a while... Uh, no, you know, the, the Russians all had bad press. Um, and so everyone was, no one wanted to draft them. No one wanted you to, 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 no, no one wanted teams to consider drafting them or signing them or anything. And if you had drafted one, they were never going to come over. Uh, and then it got a lot better. Uh, and I think we're, we're kind of seeing it, uh, the tide go out a little, 
a little bit and, and they're starting to to get a little harsher on on russian players uh you know what happened i think was it with the islanders because they've got they've had a couple they've had two or they've had three or four russian players in the past several years i want to say five or six years who were highly rated and dropped down the draft order for little little reason other than a lot of scouts didn't think they were going to come into uh, into the United States or they were going to stick in the United States. And three or four of them, um, I, I'm trying to remember the exact number, uh, they dropped off. They just, for whatever reason, they didn't stick. I, I think one at least was was due to injury and, and then bouncing around. Uh, but it, And so that gives people a reason to say, oh, hey, these three guys didn't work out, so that must mean all Russians are not going to work out. And, it, and that's probably the exact reason why Evgeny Kuznetsov was taken where he was. I mean, you look at where he's at right now, um, and he was taken 26th overall in 2010. I mean, that was the same draft that Austin Watson was taken 18th overall. And, of course, there was, you know, the whole thing is like, is he going to come over? Is he going to come over? And it took him a while to get over there, but obviously the payoff has been worth it for the Capitals. And I'm a little biased as well just because I – uh, you know, weathered the storm during, you know, the Ovi's prime years as, you know, when he's scoring 50 goals a season. And, you know, that was never good enough for the national media. It was never good enough for the Canadian media because he was scoring all these goals, but he wasn't winning championships. And he was scoring all these goals, but, oh, he doesn't play as well as defense. And, oh, all these coaches are coming through. So obviously that's on him. That's his problem. He is the one not listening to his coaches and forcing them out which is absolute garbage it's not true at all this is a guy that was laying down and blocking shots for dale hunter in the middle of one of his worst scoring seasons in his in his career um so yeah i can see that now and now it's kind of ridiculous where he's you know 10 11 seasons into his career and now people are starting to come around and say okay yeah this is the best goal ten or goal scorer of our generation and this is a guy that needs to be celebrated um and it just goes back to i think that there's the russian factor and there's the personality factors i mean it wasn't a very long ago where pk suban was getting uh crucified because he showed personality and the hockey players aren't allowed to show personality because that's just wrong Looking back at that uh, 2010 draft, I just happened to have this page open. And that we're going to look back at the 2010 draft as pretty darn special because you had Taylor Hall, Tyler Sagan, Eric Branson, Ryan Johansson, Nito Niederreier. That's your top five. Outside of your top five, Jeff Skinner, uh, Burmistrov, Mikhail Granlund, la, 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 la. Jaden Schwartz, Derek Forbert, Tarasenko's taken 16th. Two picks later is Austin Watson. Pick after that, Nick Bukestad. Quentin Howden was picking was picked before Evgeny Kuznetsov. Right, and he's doing okay with the Panthers, but that's Quentin Howden. Quentin Howden, Kevin Hayes, uh, Bo Bennett, Riley Sheehan. These guys were all taken right above Kuznetsov. And Mark Pizik, man, I can't even do that name. Sorry, I was, I'm still getting over the drafting of Austin Watson and the list of names that came after him. Nick, Nick Bukestad would have been perfect. Yeah. Nick Bukestad, big guy, play center. Yeah, that's frustrating. I, I will never also, understand I mean, can, that fra- that draft strategy. We can go strategy. further down the list. We can go further down the list and say Charlie Coyle, Emerson Edom, who's you know, he's had an up and down career. But you get where this is going. Like you, 
there was an, and if you could redo the draft over again, Vladimir Tarasenko is probably in the top five comfortably. No? How would you put yeah. him against Jeff Skinner? Um, let's see. So if we you could do it again, Tyler Sagan probably would go number one, right? Yes. Um, and then, oh, man. I, there could be an argument made that you'd have, like, Kuznetsov, Tarasenko, Johansson probably in that order somewhere. Um, and then, honestly, I... Where would you put Taylor Hall, then? I'm trying to decide whether I wanted to put Taylor Hall before Jeff Skinner or after Jeff Skinner, because Jeff Skinner's kind of fallen off the map a little bit recently. Like, he had that, that those first really good couple of seasons, and he had those yeah. concussion problems and started going downhill from there. He had 33 goals last year. Uh, no, part yeah. 33 years the goals the year before that. Last year, only yeah. 18 and 13. So Jeff Skinner did mm-hmm. literally fall off the map last year. Right. But, I mean, he still had, I mean, you look at it, he's had 134 goals in 390 games, Jeff Skinner. I mean, that's pretty impressive. It is. Yeah, it is. And there's no real dispute about it. But speaking of, Philip Forsberg is actually the fastest as far as the, his draft class, as far as getting to 100 points. Mm-hmm. What year was, was uh, what year was the Forsberg draft? Uh, that was now Yakupov. Um, who else was in that draft that just played recently? Uh, must... Yeah, sorry about that. No, nah, uh, we like special bu- guests. We like Buster. Buster, special guest. What breed is Buster? Uh, he is a lab boxer mix. Oh, this sounds adorable. Oh, he is. You you've seen pictures of him around every once in a while. Probably, probably. I do, but uh, I do love some see. cool dog talk. Galchenyuk was also taken that time. That was the defense draft because uh, yeah, Olimano uh, was there. Yeah. Yeah, outside of Yakupov and Galchenyuk, the, the top 10 was all defense. This was like the year that like, hey, let's try to be like the Nashville Predators. <laughs> yeah, there's some oh, there's some interesting names in that list. Some guys who just did not stick, huh? Wow. Yeah, some of these guys I don't even, uh, I've never heard of before. Slater Kiki, the guy taken right before Philip Forsberg. Kiki, is that how that's pronounced? I was yeah, not 100% sure. Yeah, that's a weird one. All right, looking at other last questions here. Jeff Adams writes in, is Weber's contract really that bad now? Yes. Uh, since the actual money falls off and the Preds never reach the cap anyway, aren't they actually better equipped to handle a deal like this than many teams? Uh-oh. The second part, yes, you're, you're correct about I, that. Mm, but the contract... Uh, no, I, I think I, the contract is bad, period. Mm-hmm. It's just bad. Um... I mean, it, it's so funny. Like, because when I watched the Flyers Predators game uh, on you know last Saturday, uh, I follow a ton of Flyers people, media and stuff like that on on Twitter. Uh, not nearly as many as I do Predators people, but I, I follow a good number. And the general consensus is that no one, none of the none of the the bloggers, at least the the respectable bloggers in Philadelphia want Weber they're sort of like and uh, you know Broad Street Hockey was leading the charge in this but there were some others as well who were like you, you see this do you really want to deal with because you know Weber was not having the best night uh to you know I say this in his defense he was having the best night in in his defense weird sentence um 
But no, there's a really honest sentiment. It's like, hey, he's really effective. He scores a lot of goals, and he's good at breaking up playing the blue line, but he's not the best in his own once he's in his own zone, and he doesn't have the same breakout pass that you want from a lot of your number one defensemen. He doesn't have the speed you want from your number one defenseman. So you have kind of a turning tide from the guys who originally tried to sign him to that contract. And I think that's really interesting. And, and for a while, I think that that reaction was, we didn't get him on our team, so we feel a little hurt about it. I think that's that that's turned into, you know what? I think we actually dodged a bullet on this one because that's a lot of money for a guy who I think I I am concerned is going to get aged really fast. Uh, I, as far I, as I agree. I agree with that. I, I figure that, uh, so he's having, you know, points-wise, a pretty productive season this year. Uh, I imagine he'll probably have a pretty productive season next year. Uh, but after that, I mean, he's going to be, he'll be 32 then. Uh, he's not going to be the number one defenseman for very much longer because Yossi, Ekholm, Ellis are going to start supplanting him in that. And that's $7.5 million towards the cap that's going to be used on, you know, a 34, 35, 36-year-old defenseman that's going to start playing second and third pair minutes, which is a lot of money uh, to be throwing around at a guy that we don't even know if he's going to be productive in another three years. And then on top of that, if he uh, retires or gets injured and is forced to retire or something like that, that, that recapture penalty is just money that is not going anywhere that Nashville has to pay. And for a small market team with a uh, with a you know internal budget, that's not really easy to swallow. Yeah, no, there's there's a lot of pain in here in the contract. Uh, and the cap capture, of course, being a big part of it. Uh, you know, in just as it, the m- matching that offer sheet that Philadelphia put on Weber was a lot of things. The organization, it was a has. They they kind of I, I look at it and say, you know, they they were looking at it and said, we have to do this. It's our captain. It's a, a very visual, respected player in the league. Uh, it's demonstrating that we're legit. There's a lot of messages the Predators organization was trying to send, and I, I get the, I get it. You have to send a message. You have to make a statement. But isn't the real statement say winning a winning a banner, any banner? Wouldn't that mean a lot more? Uh, getting closer to a Stanley Cup, winning the Western Conference. Not saying that. The, the Shea Weber's preventing them from doing that, but the flexibility of not having seven and a half million tied to a guy who is being eclipsed by Roman Yossi, who's being paid almost half that. Shea Weber right now, just in case for the scoring at home, is actually on pace to have his best points per game uh, in his career. Well, but you look at that and you say, okay, best points in his game in his career, and he's, what, he's 30? He's 30. He's 30? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably not... That, that probably isn't mean, doesn't mean he's going to do even better or the same next year. It probably means he's going to no. drop back down. So no, it's but, one of those uh, things. Like it, it's, it, it's great for the season. It adds more points. It gets the team wins. But for a long-term winning strategy, that it is not. Duncan Keith uh, won the Conn Smythe last year at 32. So I, I get what you guys are saying. I'm not, dispu- I'm not disputing, you know... A whole lot of what you're saying here, but the whole idea that Weber is going to well, fall off the cliff at 32 is uh, I'm not on board. Well, the, that well the issue is that the contract goes off in eternity, and he's never going to be able to fulfill that contract. It's a re- yeah. it's it's not a contract meant to be played to the end. That's the definition. The definition of the number one defenseman, I believe, has changed immensely over the last five years. 
to the point where Weber is enabling Roman Yossi to be that guy. I mean, you contract aside, Roman Yossi's the number one defenseman on the team right now, and I'm okay with that. Weber's got a particular set of skills that Yossi doesn't have, and vice versa. It takes, you have to have both parts in order for a successful defenseman pairing to work. In order to have Duncan Keith being Duncan Keith, you have to have Brent Seabrook. In order to have Victor Hedman, you have to have Anton Strauman. You have to have that other guy. You can't have the, you can't have two of the same guy because we've seen what Roman Yossi and Seth Jones look like on the ice together. Doesn't look good, <laughs> right? So, so the, the the argument that I'm allowing Yossi being that guy, yes, he's going to be paid a lot of money to let to to do that role, but he's still Shea Weber. He's still a guy that no one wants to mess with. And when you look at his individual matchup stats compared to the best players in the league. He still is the, one of the most elite matchup defensemen in the entire league. He can do things that that guys like Duncan Keith don't want to do, and he's actually still pretty good at it. So I get it. There's a you know there's you know we don't like the fact that he's being paid X amount of money. Fine, I get it. At the same time, there's not a whole lot of Shea Weber's out in the league. There's just not. Uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, it's point well I mean, made. I mean, we we, yeah, we have I, our I, side, I, you I, have yours, I and I think they're both valid arguments. I, the mm-hmm. one thing I always have to make clear because, you know, I was, I've always kind of charged into these things because I charged into the hey, we need to move on from Barry Trotz thing. I charged into hey, the 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 Shea and and Rene contracts are not great contracts. They're a problem for the team in the long run. Um, but especially about Shea Weber. You cannot argue that he is not a good, effective defenseman. Yeah, and I don't think any of us were saying that. And I also don't think that we were saying he's going to fall off a cliff, you know, within the next couple of years. Because I, I do think that he's going to have a productive year next year. And the one after that, I think it's, uh, you know, when he's 33, 34, 35, given the minutes that he plays, given what uh, his assignments are, um, given how, how hard he shoots his shot all the time, I mean, eventually... He, he age is just going to come up with him, and even though he's going to be making an actual salary of you know six million dollars, four million dollars, two million, whatever it is, as the contract gets longer, that's still a large cap hit for a player that when he turns 35, 36, 37, is not going to be the same player that we're seeing today. Then he's a much more tradable asset at that point. Well, I, I, and I think there's a legitimate question of with with someone who is as physical as Weber. Is he is, can can he really keep playing it at 35, 36, 37? I mean, maybe. There's nothing to say he can't. But I, I with, with a league that is getting younger and younger, it's going to get harder and harder to keep up. Because what you keep the strength, you lose the speed. Shea Weber's got already was never the fastest guy, but he's got a ton of strength. So he just has to. And we've talked about this before. He has to learn to adapt his game as everything around him changes. Uh, and I'm. Interesting seeing how he does this into the next five years of his contract. One last one from Twitter. Uh, Rachel Freeman writes in again. Since no one is asking, who looks the best with Jackman? Uh, Laviolette seems to he's given up. He's she's got a good point here. She Laviolette has, has went back to Ekholm Ellis together. So we're left now with Granberg, who for some reason we have not seen Granberg and uh, Jackman together. I think this. They're worried about either Granberg trying to be kind of dumb in the offensive zone or just labeling him as a stay-at-home defenseman. And Tony Batetto, Anthony Batetto, whatever he wants to go by. Um, they've looked good at times this year. Um, sometimes I worry about the gap coverage between Batetto and between uh, 
in between Jackman, but as a whole, are you glad to see um, Ekholm and Ellis back together? I think yes. that's a great pairing. I think that's such a great pairing. Uh, I don't know. There's really nothing to complain about with that setup, and I, I, I'm not an NHL coach. I don't. I don't see why. Don't laugh at that thing. I can see you smirking. Uh, sorry. <laughs> sure, sure. That's a that's a reasonable story. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I you know maybe maybe Granberg and and uh, Jackman have some sort of deep seated disagreement. I don't. I don't know. I don't know why they can't play together. Uh, again, maybe it's clear if I were an NHL coach, though that would make a lot of things clear in life. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Potato has been, you know, fine. I guess I haven't really had. Uh, much reason to complain about him substantially, which is, uh, as far as the third pairing defenseman goes, is about where I want to be. Yeah, I'm still, like, I don't know, I, I still find myself getting a little bit nervous whenever, uh, you know, whether it's Potato or Granberg is on the ice with someone else, whereas I do not feel that way with Ekholm and Ellis. And that, that pairing is just so good that... I think you almost have to make the trade-off is, okay, if we have Yossi and Weber together, we have Ekholm and Ellis together, then we'll figure out who works best with Jackman, whether that's Potato, whether that's Granberg, and keep them in there. Because, um, I mean, I, I, at this point, I don't really think that we can say for definite sure that Granberg is better than Potato or vice versa. Um, so maybe you just limit Jackman and whoever's minutes that he's playing with um, – which we've seen in the past. Like, it was great to have Seth Jones there with Jackman so that everyone could get even minutes. Uh, but, I mean, that's not a luxury that a lot of NHL teams have. And that's the trade-off that you have for bringing in Ryan Johansson. Uh, so, I'm an advocate of the Echo Manalis pairing, and I think that they should stay together no matter what. But, again, just like Link, this surprises you. I'm not an NHL coach, so... Yeah, Link, actually, what I was laughing at is I still had up the Shea Weber um, hockey database page. And Weber's uh, last three years of juniors, he had 167, 126, and 95 penalty minutes. And then he, I'm just looking through his penalty minute history. And the only year he even came close to 80 was uh, the one year in 2009 where he fought everybody. <laughs> yeah, he did have he did have a rough rough time at that. Actually, I just, I was curious. Um... Because I mean, I do prefer having watching both. I do prefer uh, Granberg over Potato, uh, but just, just looking at it at five on five, Potato. I mean, his numbers are just so bad. How bad are they? I mean, his his like Corsi four is like his percentage is forty two point three percent. But his his PDO is one hundred and four. I mean, how do you have Woof. such terrible Corsi and such high PDO? And his and he's uh, even got padded zone starts. So he's playing start- further back. That's how that happens. Yeah. He's playing further back and just bodyguarding yeah. relays like what Mike Yo coaches. The but best it, but he's got it. He's starting in the offensive zone more frequently. Is he? Who's he starting with? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, I misread that. He's starting the defensive zone slightly more. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sorry, I just misread that. Uh, it's just. I don't. I don't understand. But hey, we're we're nitpicking the sixth and seventh defenseman, which you know is That's always okay. nice when it comes to defense. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with that. <laughs> that's what we. That's the price they paid for a number one center. So that's that's cool. All right, let's go and take our break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some stuff around the NHL. And I got five tough questions as well. This is the Pridecast, brought to you by Lionzone Internet Marketing Solutions. These days, you need a partner current and latest website design standards. 
One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402. Or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. Is that the thumbs up? Is that the good sign? Yes. Cool. Yeah, we should do this more often. This is kind of fun. Don't have to worry about driving afterwards. We're able to go a little bit. Don't feel too bad about doing an hour-long first segment, but still it's an hour-long first segment. Uh, getting some NHL news. Um, we're going to start off on a happy note for us. The Minnesota Wild are miserable right now, and um, they're taking it out on their poor beat writers, and they're taking it out on – on just giving all these really melodramatic quotes about in the locker room. And I don't know, is there any team that you personally have more fun watching suffer than Minnesota? Pittsburgh. Mm. Oh yeah. Pittsburgh. Any Western conference team that you enjoy suffering more than Minnesota? Chicago. Winnipeg. Ooh, why Winnipeg? Their fans bug me so much. And they, they've been like that forever. And most of the people on their team, I just don't like. I, I don't know. I like it's not. I, I just don't like have any reason to not like them. I mean, they. It's not like they've been like very good recently. So I don't know. I'm kind of just like I. I nothing the wild, which I think might even be worse because like I don't hate them or loathe them. I don't like them. I just like I do not give the wild a passing thought. The Wild wish they were the Predators, and they're just bummed they can't be the Predators. They're, they're going to become the new Predators, especially if they screw up. And I think of Jonathan Drouin right now is still a Tampa Bay Lightning bolt. So it's for right now, he's out there. And Minnesota's desperate for offense. They want to shake things up. But Jonas Berdeen is out for a while. And Berdeen was one of the PA for Jonathan Drouin. Berdeen is not the best player for the Minnesota Wild. So they're, they're going to end up probably trading someone like a, um, like a um, Marco Scandella or someone on par with like a Nito Nito rider. And there may not be a worse fit than Jonathan Drouin, Mr. Playmaking, pass happy, a little bit of a diva winger than Minnesota. So naturally no, Thomas, we're, pull, yeah. we're pulling for this trade. Yeah, absolutely. Thomas Vanek's already complaining about the center depth in Minnesota. And what are you going to do? You're going to add a playmaking winger there. Like, That'd be fantastic. I would love it. Not frankly, I would love it. They're counting on Charlie Coyle and Mikhail Granlin to be the number two centers on the roster that has Miko Koivu as the number one center. So, yeah, that's wonderful. Maybe that's maybe they're a prime uh, trade partner for Paul Gostad. Don't 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 tease this poor heart of mine. 
The St. Louis Blues are still winning, and they're still boring. Not a whole lot of news out of there. Chicago has overtaken Dallas. Uh, Dallas right now, Jason Spezza is out for an extended period of time. So we're going to see what Dallas looks like more than just the first line uh, right now. So uh, Dallas, not been great since right around the middle part of the season. Uh, what are the odds you think they come back and top Dallas for the division, or do you think it's just Chicago's division to lose at this point? I think it's probably Chicago's division to lose at this point. I mean, we we, we talked about this, uh, and several people talked about this earlier, whereas uh, at the beginning of the season, like, did you believe in the Dallas Stars, and did you think that this was something that could continue? Um, and I think a lot of people did, uh, myself included, but I also thought that there was, you know, I would not put it past them to slip, you know, two or three in the division. And they had a horrible month of January. Now that they've got, now they've got some injury concerns to think about, uh, and just that that style of hockey that they play always catches up. And you know, it's great to score five, six, seven goals a game, but eventually, the, that well is going to dry up at some point. You're going to have to learn how to win a game two to one, three to two. Yeah, I think I think Dallas. I don't think they're quite out of it. Because uh, the one thing you have to, we always have to remember with the Blackhawks is that they're not going to try all that hard to keep on top of the division. A team like Dallas may look and say, "Well, we want to be number one," and so they're going to push and drive and try to be number one. Whereas Chicago's like, "Sure, if you want to tire yourself out, and, you know, with three quarters of the season left to go, cause, you know, down, thinking down the road a little bit, with sorry, a quarter of the season to go." I got backwards there. Uh, the quarter of the season to go and tie yourselves out. You go, you guys go do that. We're going to be winning steady games, playing our our game, uh, and then we'll be nice and ready for the playoffs, and then we'll just knock you out. Yeah, but I could also see Chicago having a much uh, easier time in extending less effort uh, to win the division than the than the Dallas Stars do, just because the Blackhawks are. Yeah, it's it's certainly possible, but I just I don't know. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, the surging stars come back. I would like to as well, just because then we know that um, I mean, if Nashville's going to get a wild card berth, it's probably going to be against LA or whoever wins the Central. And uh, yeesh, I, I don't want to play Chicago right out of the gate. Um, no. biz- bizarre, um, bizarre news: Bob Hartley, coach of the Calgary Flames, walked out of practice today after 25 minutes. I'm assuming oh. he finally realized that it was all his fault and there's nothing he can do and just left. He just fired himself and walked out. I, I've seen worse what ideas work. <laughs> he didn't go all Mike Yo and start yelling at everyone. Mike Yo's good for that one psychotic practice a year. And I, I guess he has, he's decided not to uh, decided not to pull it out just yet. I don't know. It's kind of like Excalibur, except it, the only thing it does is it inspires Minnesota to go to the first round. But <laughs> I don't know. Other news today, uh, Dustin Bufflin signed his deal today, which likely means Andrew Ladd is probably gone out of Winnipeg. Bufflin's deal is six um, $7.6 million AAV. He's going to be signed until his late 30s as well. So – on par with the Weber deal as far as dollar amount goes, on par as far as when it's going to when it's going to end in his career. So how do we like this Dustin Bufflin deal? I mean, it's it's all right. I you know, with the way that money's being given out these days, you know, Weber Weber's contract was a lot when he was handed out whereas Bufflin's isn't quite as much though he's still 
clearly getting number one defenseman dollars. So I mean, the contract is fine. Uh, term, I don't know. I'm I I, I never like turn lays contracts. Uh, but you know it it'll be serviceable. You know, Buffalo's never been mobile as is. So all he needs to do is just be massive and be in in the right spot, and, and he'll be able to play his game just fine. So I think it's a fine I think it's a fine contract, and not a little surprising. Yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's crippling to Winnipeg. I, you knew that he was going to get paid either by Winnipeg or by someone else um, around what he got. And, you know, Winnipeg has uh, a guy like Truba as well that can step in there um, and help them. So I think it's probably a fine contract. It's pretty much on par with what we were expecting. I, I'm a little surprised that it came this soon considering uh, – it looked like for a little bit that they were shopping him and he may not resign and, you know, all this other drama. And here we are. Looking at the uh, general manager page for the jets, you've got uh, Joel Armia, who's whatever. Mike Shifley is a UFA after this year. So is Adam Lowry. So is Jacob Truba. So is Michael Hutchinson. As of right now, they have uh, right around $11 million for the cap space, which that doesn't include the right around two and a half million dollar raise that Dustin Bufflin's going to be getting. Fair to say that, uh, and that's not including Andre Pavlik right now, who's on IR, Link's favorite player. So, looking at that, Andrew Ladd probably going to be on the market. Is there a place that he fits best? And uh, with Jimmy Vesey kind of being kind of that possible best case scenario for Nashville, I'm going to stay away from Andrew Ladd, right? I think they should. Yeah, I, I, at this point, I don't think Ladd brings anything the Predators need to really fight to pick up. Uh, I think if it had been a couple years ago when Ladd was, was you know, re-signing, getting set up, it would have been, you know, interesting, interesting piece to pick up. But, uh, I mean, at this point, uh, no, I, I really don't think you do, even though, even though a good quality left wing is not easy to find. No, I, I could see um, uh, with his uh, familiarity from his Chicago days, I could see uh, someone like uh, uh, Dale Talon going after him in Florida, seeing it like that would be a fit there considering uh, what they've got and bring it another mentor type role to play with some of their kids. Um, in my mind, looking just looking at the teams and what they need, I think that makes the most sense. Yeah, Florida makes a lot of sense just because they can they they have a lot of bigger players and they can definitely try to beast mode some guys and the teams are going to be battling in that division. I mean, with the exception of Boston, Detroit's not a big team. Montreal's definitely not a big team. Tampa Bay's not a big team. I mean, if we were talking about a, a team that could steal around in the playoffs and they have the goaltending, the defense to do it, Florida makes sense. Plus he's only four. He's on, his cap is only four point four million dollars. So it's not like the guy's getting paid a king's ransom. He's yeah. Andrew Ladd, for God's sake. Yeah, I mean he's he's gonna make he the great thing uh, for Andrew Ladd, just as a hockey player individual, is that with, with his track record, he's going to really have a lot of say in in where he ends up. And I think that'll that I think that'll be really good. Uh, he can he can finish out the season with a team that has a really good shot at the cup. Uh, I mean, he, no one's going to turn down a left winger who can score 25 to 30 goals. Uh, you know, no one's going to turn that down. And then in the offseason, he can probably sign somewhere on what could be his last contract if someone gives him a, like a five-year contract and, uh, you know, pick where he wants to play. Uh, so he's he's really well set up, and he's a good asset. He's he's paid a decent amount. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think uh, both Ladd 
the team that picks him up and the Jets are all kind of in a win-win scenario here, uh, given that the Jets have to acknowledge the fact that they're not making the playoffs and they need to actually do something to fix their future. But they don't like to admit that to themselves. Most Canadian teams don't. Especially this year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's some pretty some pretty garbage teams right now north of the border right now. All right. Uh, lastly, Jimmy Vesey did a really good interview out of Edmonton, of all places. He was asking questions about his future, and the host did a really good job kind of painting him in the corner and trying to give him a uh, – trying to see if he could elicit some kind of response from the guy. And uh, Vesey at least made the uh, – I don't know if it was a Fordian slip or whatever it was, but he made a – made a comment about how the predators are set have people watching his practices they have people that are going over the game film with them and spending a lot of time with the guy and then he he kind of buys it kind of paints himself into a further corner and then he says well we'll see if i'm a good fit so it's looking pretty good if you're a vz conspiracy theorist that uh it's possible that uh, he's probably going to be uh, signing in Nashville. I think he makes a lot of sense, especially with there's uncertainty in the top six where, you know, in the perfect world, I would like to see Kelly Arncrook maybe move back to center. But uh, gentlemen, uh, right now, if you're going to, we kind of need to put us at a percentage watch. What do you, what'd you put as the Jimmy Vesey percentage of where he, if he's going to sign in Nashville, what, 65, 35, 50, 50, what say you? I'd, from listening to that uh, interview, I'd probably say 70, 30. Um, I've always been kind of uh, expecting him to sign there, especially considering that Poyle said even last year that if he wasn't going to go and finish his degree in Harvard, they would have made room for him ahead of the playoffs. Uh, Ryan Johansson there makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, they've, they've got some depth on there. So, I mean, if, Harvard season finishes before the playoffs. I think that it's very likely that he's going to go over there and they're going to finagle some way to get him into the lineup and get him some reps. But I mean, even if it goes past the playoffs, I mean, we've seen plenty of times before kids coming in from the NCAA straight into the playoffs. I mean, Chris Kreider is a shining example and he did really well for the Rangers that year. Cause I believe that was the year that they went to the Eastern conference final. Yeah, it's the year he plowed into Carey Price. Or, no, that was actually two times after that. Sorry. My, yeah, he does that a lot. It's kind of hard to differentiate between Chris Kreider running goaltenders. It's kind of his M.O. Rangers legend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except I, I, I'm, I'm hoping for bigger things out of VZ than Kreider. <laughs> yeah, I'd hope so. I'd hope so. Kreider's a monster of a human, though. He's like, what, 6'2", 220? He's overpaid He's and whatever. Well, that, that comes with the territory. Mm. <laughs> it's New York Rangers hockey. Come on now. <laughs> 94. One of the most feudal franchises of all of the entire New York market, with the exception of the 1994 year. So Instead, there's just the Jets. <laughs> New York Jets. All right, fine. Let's get out of here. Five tough questions. Brought to you by a dynamic sponsor opportunity here. Number one, how long can and will Kelly Yarncroke stay on the top line? Until Jimmy Vesey finishes at Harvard. That's actually not a bad answer. <laughs> I would hope that he stays there as as you know, as long as that top line is producing. 
I hope that he's there. Like maybe, uh, you know, Yarn Croak isn't putting up the goals himself, but if Johansson and if Neil are producing, there's probably a safe bet that Yarn Croak's going to be putting up some points up there as well. So I'd like to see him at least up there for the next week or two and then see where that goes. Yeah. I mean, as, as long as he's playing like the Swedish Chris Kunitz, I'm happy. Um, there won't be anything to complain about. And, and, you know, just rounds out the line, which is exactly what it needs. And then if you can add a extra spark, you add that spark, and then you say, thank you, spark. Thank you for not going to, to, to Toronto like all the made-up rumors, because why would you go to Toronto? It doesn't make any sense. That, that, that rumor literally doesn't make any It doesn't make any sense. It seems like something Toronto fans just made up for fun. Yeah, it's because that they think that every, every single player is going to go sign there at some point. Yeah, like Stamkos is going to sign there just because, you know, he... Okay, maybe there's some truth to that, but you know where Vizi would sign? He would sign with the Bruins. Know who? who yeah. Know who's not going to sign them? The Bruins. Yeah, the Bruins had the money to do it. Maybe number two. What player did you want to see in the breakaway challenge at the All Star game that didn't get a chance to participate? My answer is easy one: Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well because we got to see Duchesne, we got to see Kuznetsov. Um, Honestly, I would have loved to see John Scott take a couple of breakaways just to see what he could have done. If it's about entertainment, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, why has no one said Yager just because? I mean... Well, te- technically. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, P.K. Subban in a wig is still P.K. Subban in a wig. It's just a wonderful moment of tribute. But yeah, how can you not want to see Yager do more things? Agreed on that one. Number three, is Victor Arvidsson going to be the type of player that either works in the top six or just doesn't work at all? If that's the case, is he the odd man out when VZ gets put on the lineup? I, Yeah, this traps around the first question because I think I think the answer there is still, you know, is Yarncroke really the answer on the top line? Uh, or at least the, let's not even say top line, let's, let's say the Johansson-Neal line. And that, you know, for the time being, it's fine, but I don't see that really being a long-term solution, barring some incredible consistency over the next, you know, 20 games. Uh, so, no, yeah, I think Arvidsson's fine in the top six. I think he, uh, just to answer the question directly then, and, and, and apologies for cutting you off, uh, John. Um, That's okay. Yeah, I, I think uh, Arvidsson has to be in the top six in order to be effective. He's just not going to thrive with the players that you put in the bottom uh, six, even though the bottom, the, the third line for the Predators we talked about earlier is, is uh, it's a good line. Yeah. And I, I agree with that uh, completely. I'm just more along the lines of looking at to see if he can build off his performance that he had on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, hopefully that's not just a, you know, flash in the pan type of thing where he scores two gorgeous goals and then disappears again. Um, I hope that doesn't happen. I honestly, I don't think it's going to, uh, but I also don't think he's going to be, you know, racking up points and points and points and points. But uh, I, I think that he's better suited playing with Forsberg and Ribeiro than he is playing with uh, anyone else below them. And and the one thing that stood out to me about, about the goals that Arvison scored is that the, I, I believe they both came on the rush. That's how we scored and, most of his goals this year, and with the that's, exception of the one yeah, hitting his stomach. Yeah, and that's going to be Arvidsson's thing. Like, he just, you know, in in the words of the wonderful Dan Bradley, 
he just skates into the zone and shoots the puck. His hair turns blue. The whole thing is just <laughs> absolutely nuts. And it's it has to be on the rush. And I, I you know I think that Forsberg does really well setting up plays in the rush. What worries me a little bit long term is that that's I always see Ribeiro more as a setup plant in the zone and get a cycle going and then look for the right pass kind of player. So my question is, is that long term with that line setup, is Ribeiro just kind of there and then he's insurance to, in case they set up in the zone? You know, what's the long term play look like? That's very valid. Um, fun question for the two of you asking general managers, John Garcia and Christopher Link. What tinkering would you do to this team before the playoffs started? You can tinker the lines. You can make trades. Just give a brief synopsis about what you would do to make this team better going into the postseason. Do I have to be practical, or can I just live in fantasy land? And I don't mean to- like ridiculous fantasy land, like trade for the ghost of Wayne Gretzky. No, I mean like moderate fantasy. You were general manager tasked with getting this team to the playoffs in the best position possible. It's not a fun answer. I'll tell you uh, the I'm first getting... thing I would do. Yeah, the first thing I would do is sit Paul Gostad straight up, bring up Colton Sissons. I don't care about that. It's a you know, uh, four million dollar, three million dollar healthy scratch. You put him on there so that you've got Watson and hopefully Bork gets healthy. So you have a lot a fourth line of Watson, Bork, and uh, Sissons. Um, yeah, I think that's mostly what I would do. Maybe you go out and try and find someone like Yuri Hoodler if you can get him for a couple of draft picks, like a second and a third round. Um, I think he'd cost a little bit more than that. But, yeah, I, I, I think that there there doesn't need to be a whole lot of tinkering outside of the organization because there are some good pieces within the organization right now that they can use. They're just not doing it. Or if I had my druthers, I'd see what it would cost to get Redeem Verbata out of Vancouver. Oh, that's interesting. And I I really don't think a lot of trades need to take place. Uh, you know, there, there's a decent chance the Predators can pick up VZ uh, and, and get him on board. And I, I think, that, I mean, you add him, you got a really good chance of have, having an, an effective left winger, uh, you know, for, for your top line. And so, I mean, that's really encouraging. And, and to John's point, I totally agree. You, you have an opportunity as the Predators to clean up your bottom six a little bit to just to actually say if we want to win we have to play our best players night in night out regardless of ego regardless of cap hit you know as long as it fits within the budget of you know with you know cap budget uh, you bring up Colton Sissons and you play your best guys I mean going in to the end of the season with the top six or sorry the bottom six that John described would be inspirational that would be such an incredible bottom six group to watch play hockey. Uh, and then you can even, it, it, when you're killing penalties, you can even start cycling in guys like Yarncroke who are playing in the top six. And it's even Yarn, better. Yarncroke's played penalty kill minutes as is now. Yeah, exactly. Because he doesn't yeah. play on the power. So play. it gives you that much more diversity. Um, see, I really don't think the Predators need to do a lot. I, they made a really big move. And... That's fantastic, and we've seen as as people as people have been covering this this team for a long time. When the pred, 
Well, be I mean, we've, we've been doing the show for four seasons and, and blogging for beyond for longer than that uh, as well. Uh, you know, we have seen little trades go through that just throw everything off for some reason. Uh, you know, someone's all of a sudden losing ice time who's being effective and or, you know, for, for whatever reason, a guy who was shooting a career 8% comes to Nashville and all, is shooting, all of a sudden shooting 1% or 0% and all of a sudden everyone's like, this guy's terrible. I'm like, nah, I don't think so because he's got five seasons playing at a high level. And yeah, it, it, I, I think they found something that's working. It's helped even a lot of things out. Uh, would, I, would I love to see some balance in the goaltending? I don't think that's necessarily to trade because you can't really just bring in a starting goaltender. That's not happening. And Carter Hutton is not a guy you want to ride through the season, so you just hope that Pecorini really has pulled through and, and is going to be back to, to kind of his career average. Yeah, that's all you can really hope for. I don't see, I don't see them making a move like bringing in a James Reimer because that's not how goaltending works. It's just not how it works. Um, I think Yuri Hidler's a smart move. Um I don't like Eric Stahl as a number two center, but if nothing else is available, if they could somehow get out of the next year Barbero's deal and bring in Eric Stahl for the run, okay. And yeah, it, I think it, I'd be okay with that. If it involves getting Ribeiro, I'm on board. I'll, I'll take just by anybody. Yeah, at this point. just Not that Ribeiro's playing terrible by his own standards. He's just playing more like the Mike Ribeiro that we've come to know, like we've watching other teams' games over the last five, six years. Right. We're not getting the micro barrel from last year that was super motivated, that was hitting people when the game got close. He was we're not getting that micro barrel. We're getting the you know I hope everything's okay with him outside of hockey micro barrel. I don't want any micro barrel, so whatever gets him out of town. Yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm we all kinda know where we stand on that. I mean I'm, I think we're all on accord on that one. Um if Honestly, I mean, he's, he seems like an I mean, he seems like he's having an all right season by his own standards. But at the same time, I would rather see a younger player possibly get that role. I mean, next year you're going to have Vladislav Kamenev, who's probably going to want to make the jump, and mm-hmm. he's he's made for that role. Made for that role. Finally, okay, let's do it. Number five, out of all the teams in the NHL right now, which team is in the worst spot coming towards the trade deadline this year? The worst. What do you mean? The I need, what's what's the worst spot? I need a little... I'll give you my example. My I mean, my example probably the toughest spot up until today was going to be Winnipeg because either they were going to be stuck overpaying Dustin Bufflin and Andrew Ladd or shipping them off for nothing, or shipping them off for picks, or trying to make the playoffs with them and losing them for nothing. They were in a tough spot. Right now, since they signed Bufflin, they have a plan. They're probably going to trade Andrew Ladd. I'd say probably the Minnesota Wild who don't know if they're going to stick with their current identity, don't have the draft picks to make a drastic change, know they're going to have to make some painful trade, which the Predators have already done, or maybe even the Tampa Bay Lightning, who right now are going to get stuck trading probably one of their best prospects and Jonathan Duran for below market value, thanks to Alan Walsh. They're going to get, hmm. I mean, they're going to have to overpay Steven Stamkos to keep him there, which at least Steven Stamkos, there's only five guys that are even as close as talented as he is. And then they have the rest of the roster, which is they're succeeding right now based on entry-level contracts with a lot of these young Russian guys that are going to be asking for a lot of money soon. They have dead weight in guys like Matt Carl that they can't offload. So Tampa's in kind of a tough spot. I mean, they're still a really good team. Good things happen to good teams. But uh, 
as far as the Eastern Conference, I would go with Tampa. My West would probably go with Minnesota right now. Yeah, I think those are two really or uh, several really good examples that I don't have uh, a whole lot to add on to that. Um, I don't think it's as good of an example, but uh, the Carolina Hurricanes are maybe not in a bad spot, but they're in a tough spot considering that they're still within striking distance um, of that wild card spot. And they're, they're still, uh, there is still is a chance for them to, you know, maybe surprise a lot of people. I don't personally believe that it's going to happen, but so now they're looking at where uh, they were probably at the beginning of the season going to trade Cam Ward. They're going to trade Eric Stahl, maybe see if they can bring in some like draft pick and stuff like that. Well, now do you hold on to them to try and maybe stretch that out and maybe make a surprise run? And then after that, are you really going to resign either of those guys? And if you are, why? And how much is it going to be? So um, I don't think it's necessarily a tough spot for them to be in. Uh, or I'm sorry, like a bad spot or like one of the worst. But it's definitely a tough spot. And then you look at where the Canadians are right now as well. I mean, this is a team where the bottom has fallen out completely. And there, it doesn't look like there's any plan whatsoever. Um You've got columnists advocating, saying like, well, no one's untouchable. So, you know, might as well throw P.K. Subban onto the trading block. And it's like, are you out of your mind? Um, so I could see them being in a very, very bad spot as far as that goes. And I was going to go, I was like, I'm going to go off book with these guys. I'm going to go with Montreal in, in the East and talk about those. And then John goes and covers it thoroughly and probably better than I could have. So, uh Bravo, John. Thank you. That makes my life a little You're easier. Uh, yeah, but definitely Montreal. Um, I, any any time that you can just clearly demonstrate that a team was riding on the back of a ridiculously talented goaltender, and then you take him out of the equation, the team just plummets and plummets and plummets. And you don't, and they don't know how to fix it. That says a lot. And I really don't know what they're going to do um, besides just get Carey Price back. Uh, in the West. I have to go with my favorite punching bag in the West, which are the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, this is a team that, as of right now, is sitting in the final wild card spot, and they do not deserve to be there. Granted, the only reason they're there is because there's enough Canadian teams in the West that they can be that they can still be terrible and still, you know, be competitive. Uh, but what it's not doing is telling the team, you guys are not as good as you think you are. You have some serious fundamental problems that you have to fix, and the fact that they, they win enough to scrape into the playoffs or be competitive to the playoffs means that they're not really trying to fix them in the ways they need to. They're not trying to uh, intelligently build up their team. Not rebuild, just build up the team, because they've got so many strong pieces. Uh, so, you know, I, I just see that... And I see the, the Wild, who have three games in hand, who are not that far off in points. They could easily grab those three points, close the gap to Colorado. Colorado could miss the window tr to trade for future pieces to build up their better team because they think they're still competing and then just not make the playoffs. So I think the Avalanche kind of are going to suffer from their own overconfidence like they have for the entire... Oh, man, how long has it been they've been, they've been doing this? The one time Four it seasons. worked. <laughs> the one time it worked. Yeah, the one time they got lucky and they won the the uh, the uh, international or the the NHL's PDO award, known as the, formerly known as the Jack Adams. Um, <laughs> so, one, one team that none of us have mentioned has been uh, Vancouver, because Vancouver is just good enough to like stay in the hunt, but 
not bad enough to start tanking. They've got two assets that are only getting older in the Sedin Sedin Twins, who are a treasure to the sport of hockey, but they're probably never going to win a cup at this point. No, I mean, they've got a, at this point, minus 21 goal differential, as I'm looking at the table, minus 21 goal differential. If they were to be able to play three games straight and not have any other team, just everyone else in the West stay static, and they would have to win all three of those games to even get near the wild card spot. And even then, if they won all three of those games, they would lose on tiebreakers because they would only have 23 wins. They have 12 overtime losses. This is this team. Yeah. This team isn't in a bad place in the sense of that we've been talking about the Dallas. They're in a bad place in the way Columbus is in a bad place or Calgary is in a bad place. The team is just a mess, and they have to actually fix it. And no one seems to know how to do it. They're not willing to do it quite yet. Yeah, and I mean they're just not a good team because I remember looking at their numbers uh, when they played the Predators a couple of weeks ago, and it's just like you know bottom five in the league and goals allowed and goals for special team like everything so because i thought about including them in my west pick but then i thought about it and it's like well they're in a bad spot just because they're a bad team it's not like they can make a couple of moves and uh flip some things out and then get a better prospect system or get better to make the playoffs i mean uh from if i remember correctly they've got one of the worst uh prospect pipelines uh yes in the nhl right now like they're remember last Remember when we were at the fanfare before it opened and we're just like goofing around and taking Periscope video of everything? We saw the uh, the NHL GM of the Year award and uh, is it Steve Tambellini? Yeah. Who was, the, Wait. who was the general manager of the Canucks when they won it? He won the best GM of the year and he can't draft anything. Yeah, that was in uh, 2011, right? When they went yeah, to the, the year they went to the finals. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was great. All right, looking ahead this week, uh, we got John's mistress team comes into town, the Washington Capitals on Tuesday. Uh, John, how, how much fun is that game? Is, is that game for you? I know the last game last year wasn't a ton of fun for you, but how much fun do you look forward to this game? So much, just because I finally get to watch both teams at once, and it's one of those things where you know, I mean, I know, I think I know a fair amount about hockey, but I just know both of these teams inside and out. So I can fully see when people are changing and what's going on and kind of glance into the minds of the coaches a little bit. Um, and the Capitals are just so much fun to watch. Uh, I've got a huge preview coming out tomorrow morning or today, depending on when this publishes, but t- Tuesday morning um, that dives into a lot of uh, a lot of that. But I-, I am a little bit nervous because knowing my track record, it's going to be like last year. Um, where something happens at the last minute and every game that I've every Washington game I've seen in Nashville, the caps have lost it in like the last couple of minutes of the third period, which is frustrating. So um, just because the caps are the caps, I can totally see Nashville pulling a fast one on them and, and winning, but they are just steamrolling teams right now. And they're not the best in the league statistically because of their points are the best in the league because they're the best team in the league. And then they follow it up by a trade, the, um, the back-to-back across the state of Florida with Tampa Bay on Friday and then Florida on Saturday. I can relate to you a bit on that front. Um, uh, Florida right now is so much fun to watch. I mean, we talked about at the beginning of the year that Florida Panthers are going to be our most fun team to watch, and 
they've delivered on so many fronts. Uh, Gerard Gallant, which we had a chance to get up close with him last weekend. He looks like just like a straight, cold gangster, like a guy that you probably has a phone book full of guys that are probably paid to hurt people. Um, really fun team to watch. Um, interesting to see what they do down the stretch. But uh, in the meantime, we thought that they were just going to go on that winning streak and it's kind of come crashing back to earth. But hold on pretty good tampa starting to get it figured out which they got lit up by the senators tonight five to one so going on the road for two tough ones this is probably the toughest stretch of the season right here that they're going to about to embark on with the caps the bolts the cats stars bruins kings and then they start playing canadian teams again thank god so All right yeah so the next two weeks are are probably going to be a, another maker another seminal moment of the of this uh the season if they get through this one, one, and one, I'm happy. But what say you? Um, if they lose against Washington, I'm not going to be upset by it just because of how good the Capitals are. Um, so, and I don't think that anyone should, especially regardless of whether they win by or lose by one goal or five goals. Um, I think that they need to, like honestly, I think that they need to sweep the road trip to put themselves in a in a decent standing. Uh, considering the teams that they're playing later. So I'd say let's go uh, two and one. Two and one this week. I, I think the uh, the Preds need to pick up. Uh, I, I really want to see them pick up three points, uh, half of the points available through the course of the week. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm being, I feel like I'm being overly cautious here, but it just seems, it feels really realistic to me to expect that. Uh, and, I, and I just think the Capitals are going to, beat up the Predators just because it feels like the universe will say, that, well, that's what you get for saying Barry Trotz out of town, even though we're like, we we don't regret it. Um, and that just feels like the universe is, is going to do that. And then I, I they should beat one of the Lightning and the Panthers, um, though I, I could easily see them beating both. It's just, it's tough to call. So I'm just going to say, you know, the one, one, and one. Fair enough. Um Thanks, you guys, most for putting this together. I mean, this was kind of a um, herky-jerky episode with the audio. I mean, I know it's it's not something quite we're used to as far as doing it all different places. Like, I think John's face hasn't moved in the last, like, 10 minutes because of the Google Hangout camera. But um, Oh, nice. You guys are working just fine. Nice. Thank you guys both for doing this. I do appreciate it greatly. And uh, thanks to all of our listeners who kind of hold us to task whenever we don't do an episode. We, we do appreciate it. The show keeps growing. It's a lot of fun on our end. Um, anything else before we close the book on this one, guys? Uh, I do want to throw throughout before we go. Um, this upcoming Sunday is one of the Predcast favorite events of the year, which is the Nashville yeah, the Chili North- Festival. <gasps> this is right. Sunday, February fourteenth, uh, and I, so I'm just I'm literally going to give them just a little pitch. It's it's this Sunday, uh, twelve to three p.m. And yes, so it is twelve three p.m. on Valentine's Day. So. You have your chili festival, you eat way too much, then you have a romantic dinner with your loved one and ideally have a salad or something. But it's it's a fantastic event. Uh, it's at the Azu Brewing Company, as it always is every year. $15 to get, to get in, general admission. 35 for general admission plus four uh, beers. So that's a really good deal. Uh, it's a great event. Uh, we've been involved with it for, uh, would this be the, the fourth year, Dan? Fourth year. Fourth year. fourth year that that, that uh, you know the podcast has been involved with this. Uh, it's just it's just a great event. So I I encourage if you don't have midday plans on uh, Valentine's Day, you should absolutely come out. It's so much fun. 
it benefits uh, community shares of Nashville, which uh, a lot of good let's go, money goes to a good cause. Uh, it's about healthcare, jobs, art, uh, freedom from violence. Community shares does a lot of good things. And our friend Courtney is actually one of the people that's behind that, so she's one of the people who puts this all together. And my favorite part about last year that they're going to have to top the drink tickets last year were Army Men. Oh, that nice. was hard, difficult to carry around. Lots of fun to carry around. Yes, and, and cool to pose and take pictures. We got some amazing pictures we put up on our Twitter account if you haven't already checked those out. But uh, hope to see some people out there on Sunday. A lot of fun. Link and I do look forward to this every day of the year. And uh, John, if you got nothing going on, you know, I, I will be there with bells on. Nice. I think Chris is going to be there too. Hey, and and John, you would you we we, we might need a representative to enter the uh, peppering contest, and I nominate you. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, you'll probably talk me into it too, but uh, I will hate myself. Uh, that's, that's the point. You can find him on Twitter at jgarcia36. You can find Link on Twitter at 3dlink. Find myself at Dan D. Bradley, and you can follow the show at on the 4 check This has been the Fredcast. Um, another good episode. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Something about Lions of Internet Marketing Solutions. Or check that out.